good things for God's people. I think that it's very, very important for us to understand what God calls good in contrast to what the world calls good. And the last major section was it's good for God's people to uphold biblical standards when relating to others. How do we relate to other people around about us so that they can see Jesus Christ in our lives? Tonight I want to start on another subject, and I believe it's going to be the last subject, and that is it's good for God's people to learn to be responsible. It's good for God's people to learn to be responsible, and the verse I want you to look at is found in Lamentations. Right after Jeremiah is the book of Lamentations. Lamentations, the third chapter, the 27th verse. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Now, Nave's Topical Bible gives the definition of that word yoke as a wooden bar held on the neck by thongs around the neck. It implies responsibility. So what the writer of Lamentations is saying here is it's good for a man to take on responsibility in his youth, learn how to become responsible in his youth. Now, the first question that comes up, well, who is going to be responsible for seeing to it that he takes responsibility in his youth? And over and over we find in the Word of God that the one that's to put the yoke on him and the one that is supposed to train him and cause him to be responsible are his parents. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, or according to his bent, and when he's old he'll not depart from it. Now God is very, very much concerned and interested in the responsibility of the parents toward the children. As I began looking at the scripture, I was just amazed again how many verses constantly refer to the fact that God says they're your charge, they're a blessing to you, and I hold you responsible to work with your children and teach them how to be responsible. Genesis 18. Genesis 18, verse 19. God said, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him that he will, what? Command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Not only have I called Abraham, but I've called Abraham for a reason, because I know that Abraham will raise up his children in such a way that they'll do what they're supposed to do, and they'll keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring the blessings that he's promised to Abraham to him. God says, I looked and chose Abraham because I knew that he would be the kind of father he was supposed to be. Look uh, with me through this, a few scripture verses here to show you again that when we're talking about children becoming responsible, God does not hold the school teacher, the Sunday school teacher, the pastor, the neighbor, or your uncle responsible what happens to our children. The Lord asks us to be responsible. In Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter, beginning with verse 18, Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes, talking to the children of Israel. And ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied, and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them, as the days of heaven upon the earth. God always tied to the children of Israel the fact that if they would teach their children properly, that they would stay in the land longer. God says, I'll give you that land, and as long as your children will obey. If they don't, I put them out of the land. So he always tied it in. He says, so you teach it to them. Look over in Psalm 78, verses 5 and 6. Let me just go right back to verse 1 there. Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. So the other generation was faithful. We will not hide them from their children, showing the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, 
that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. God says, some of them were faithful, now you be faithful. Proverbs, the 29th chapter. We're talking about putting a yoke on the youth. Proverbs 29, beginning with verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Verse 17, correct thy son and he shall give thee rest, yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. In Malachi, the fourth chapter, God talks about what's going to take place in the last days again. And I trust that this is the generation we're going to start seeing that happen when it seems like it's all going in the other direction. Malachi, the fourth chapter and the fifth verse. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So God says it's very, very important that the parents be responsible for placing upon the children a yoke and bringing them into a place of being responsible. One of the greatest problems that I see today with our children and I hope you'll mark this down. And I didn't, I didn't recognize what the problem was to where I could say this is what it was until I heard some teaching from a seminar that recently took place in Orlando. One of the greatest problems with our children today and an area that I think many parents do not perceive as a problem many times, and that is foolish companionship. Let me say that again. Foolish companions. Proverbs 13.20, look at it. Proverbs 13.20. This is a tremendous problem that many parents, I feel, overlook. And the thing that amazed me, I could not verbalize this. I could not explain many times what I felt. But as I look back, I know that Beverly and I were very concerned about these things, even though we didn't verbalize them. We must realize the danger of allowing our children to have foolish companions. It says in Proverbs 13, 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Now the Living Bible says that last part of the verse says, Live with evil men and you'll become evil. Live with evil men and you'll become evil. We used to always say, lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas. Water seeks its own level. But the principle is very, very important. Let's, let's just quickly go through a few Scripture verses and find out who is a fool according to the Scriptures. And let's find out if our children are associating with fools. The Scripture says that they should not be around foolish companions. Psalm 14.1. The first one says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. And as I read that, I thought to myself, God says that we're not to allow our children to be around fools. And yet many, many times we will turn our children over to fools. We'll send them off to universities because of the prestige of it, universities that are filled with atheists for teaching things that we know are not true and not right, declaring there is no God. And we turn our children over to them for three, four, five, six years and wonder why they come back with their faith shattered. Because the Word of God says that we're not to allow them to walk with fools. There's an amusing illustration that the man gave in the seminar. I'd never heard it quite like this, and it may be an oversimplification. But he said that uh, university professors, when the first people back in the early days of this country were finding things that they loved to, to get into and study, they'd study more and more and more, and, and they kept getting deeper and deeper, and they wanted to have more time to do it, and they didn't have enough money to do it. And they said, well, let's all get together and studied together, and then they found out that they still didn't have enough money. They said, you know what? I got an idea. We all like to study these things. Why don't we go out and talk to the rich people and ask them if they want to send their kids here, and that'll pay for the lights and the heat and keep the doors open, and we'll just tell them what we're studying. And when we get all through telling them what we're studying, maybe some of them will get excited with us and find out that what we're studying is interesting. They'll want to study too. Uh, of course, the rest of them, we don't care. We'll give them a piece of paper that tells them that they came and learned what we know. And then he said, the rest of them, we've got their money, so it doesn't make any difference. At least we'll keep the lights on and the heat going. I thought, that's interesting. There was a time in the early history where parents would turn their child over as an apprentice to another person. For example, Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel was a very 
uh, evidently a very highly ethical man, and he was turned over to him to become his student. And I told you when the teachers died, they called him an orphan of like Gamaliel. If he died, they'd say Paul was an orphan of Gamaliel. It was like a father-son relationship. It wasn't like the universities today where you are become a number, and they stand up and expound all, many of them stand up and expound all these godless philosophies, and our children come out, they're staggered by these things. But it says the first thing it will indicate whether a person's a fool or not if he says there's no God. If we find someone saying there is no God, we should keep our children away from that kind of person. Secondly, Proverbs, the first chapter, and the seventh verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools, what? Despise wisdom and instruction. If you see your children running around with young people around them that hate wisdom and instruction, keep them away from them. No one else can do it but you. I can remember when our children were small and young people would come over to our house, and we didn't let our children, but very seldom, go to somebody else's house unless we knew those parents very well and knew their standards and they knew our standards and knew what we required. And when they would come to our house, we would be listening in to what the kids were talking about what they're doing. Nowadays, we're told, well, that's none of your business. I've got news for you. It's my business what my children do all the time. I'll always know, I've always wanted to know what they were doing, where they were going, what they were saying, what people were saying to them, because I have to counteract false teachings that come to my children. And if I found a child that didn't know how to talk right, I'd go out and say, when you're in this yard, you will not talk like that around my children. Do you understand me? If I ever hear you talking like that again, you'll be hightailing it down the road and you'll never come back on this property again. Do you understand me? We don't talk like that here on this property. And when I would see a young person and I'd ask him to do something in the yard, he'd say, I don't have to. I'd say, well, I'll tell you what you do have to do. You have to get off this property and go home. If you cannot do what I ask you to do, don't you come on my property. Well, you must have been a bear. No, I was responsible for my children and I did not want rebellion to be allowed on the property with any other kids if I didn't allow my children. And a fool, one that's going to run, grow up to be a fool, is someone who does not like wisdom or instruction. Look at the 22nd verse of the same chapter. How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. If you find someone who does not want to learn anything. Oh, I don't care to go to school. Why do I need to go to school anyway? The attitude of total anti-intellectualism, where they just think, just let me slide through, mom and dad will take care of me, and they'll pay my bills, and so on and so forth. When I found children that would make dumb statements like that around my children, when they'd leave, I'd call them in, and I'd have them get on my lap, and I'd say, what did, you remember what such and such said out there? Yeah. What did he say? They'd, they'd tell me what he said, and I'd say, well, what do you think about that? I don't know, it's kind of silly. Why is it silly? Well, I don't know. And so we would talk through this thing, and I would say, now this is what they're saying, and here's what the Bible says. And the Bible says that type of person in the days ahead is going to get into trouble. So you really need to pray for that person, don't you? Yeah. But whenever they talk like that, you tell them they shouldn't talk like that because the Bible says that that's not smart to talk like that. Now what am I doing? I am letting them see something happen in front of them and then applying biblical principles to it so that when it happens to them the next time, they'll say, oh, yeah, God, Dad told me about that. Why? To prepare them to be able to withstand the forces that are going to come against them from fools in the world. Proverbs 15:20, another sign of a fool. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. Show me a young man who despises his mother, and God says that man's a fool. And your children should not be around that kind of person. You remember I've told you before, whenever you see a young man, uh, some young girl, your, your daughter, for example, interested in some young man, tell her to watch very carefully how he treats his mother. Because however he treats his mother, that's the way he's going to treat you. The girls better know that. If it's the old lady, the old lady, yeah, I'm not going to bother the old lady right now. What's that? Get off my back, mom. This sort of stuff. That man's a fool, God says. Any man that does not hold in high esteem and as very precious his mother, in God's sight, is a fool. Why would a person despise the very source from which he got life? Scripture says that if you hang around fools, you'll be destroyed. You hang around wicked people, evil people, you'll become evil yourself. Proverbs 18, 6. A fool's lips 
enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. Let me read that to you out of the Living Bible. I think it's a little clearer. A fool gets into constant fights, and his mouth is his undoing. A fool gets into constant fights, and his mouth is his undoing. When you see somebody that's a loud mouth, that's always antagonizing, always looking for trouble, you should keep your children away from that type of a person. I'm talking about when they're little, in their formative years, they should be kept away from them, and if they are around them, then you need to counteract and show them from the Scripture what God says about that type of an attitude. Let me tell you the fruit of that. I can remember when Beverly and I would take our children, we'd go to a church somewhere and go to somebody's home and stay there for lunch and fellowship with the family for an hour or two, and we'd get back in the car on the way home, our kids would say, Daddy, thank you so much for spanking us like you spanked us when we were bad. Thank you for not letting us do this. Those kids were terrible. I said, why were they terrible? Well, they did this and this and this. I said, what do you say to them? Well, we told them that we weren't allowed to do that, and they shouldn't be doing that either because that doesn't please the Lord. I said, well, that's wonderful if you shared that with them. But you see, had I, if I were living in that neighborhood and those kids wanted to come over to our house, that would not go on. We would not allow that because I am responsible for causing my children to learn how to put a yoke on their neck and be responsible. Proverbs 26, 11. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. What do you think that means? Never learn. Never learn. A fool is someone who can't learn from bad experiences. Scripture says the prudent foresees trouble coming and gets out of the way, but the fool just goes right on and is destroyed. He never learns from past mistakes. And if you find young people running around with your children, by the way, when your children are out away from the home and they're with friends, ask them to invite the friends to your house. And if they won't do it, find out why they won't invite them to your house. Because if they won't invite them to your house, that tells me that there's something they don't want you to find out about. But I want to tell you before God, you're responsible to find out about it and say, until I get to meet those children, I don't want you to be with them anymore. Okay? You say, boy, you sound like a dictator. No, I'm a responsible father and I have to answer to God someday for what happens to my children. The Word of God says that I am responsible and I will be held responsible. Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter, verses five and six. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Let me read that to you out of the Living Bible. It's got a lot more clarity. The fool won't work and almost starves, but feels that it is better to, uh, to be lazy and barely get by than to work hard when in the long run it's all so futile. Ever seen anybody like that today? I've had people say to me, oh, I, do you think I'm going to work for $5 an hour? i got news for you. I'd rather starve than work for $5 an hour. That man's a fool. God's Word says he's a fool. Well, hey, I can, I can take unemployment and get more than I can make there. Yeah, you probably can but you lose your self-respect. God says, that's a fool. When you see lazy children around your children that don't want anything to do with work and always put down work and put down responsibility, oh, what? you don't have to do that. Come on, let's go out and play. No, you forget that. Oh, you're, just Don't tell your mom and dad. Let's just get that kind of person away from your children. Don't have them around. They're a fool, and if they have an influence on your children, they'll begin to influence them in the wrong direction. Then Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter, in the ninth verse. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. If you see children who are angry all the time around your children, flaring up, getting angry all the time, getting mad, wanting to retaliate things, keep your children away from that type of children. Don't have them fellowship with them. Now, some of you don't have little children anymore, but you've got grandchildren. And these principles need to be taught to your children so that you can warn them not to let their children associate with fools because the Scripture says that it will destroy them. We have to keep our children from being companions with fools when they're small in order that they can know the proper way to walk before the Lord. It is our responsibility to teach our children to grow up as responsible adults. Everything we do with them 
should challenge them to grow up. Now, let me say that again because I hear some people, and I'm not, let me just interject, I do believe children need to be children, and I do believe they need to have fun. But I think that even when they're having fun, it should be productive for them to learn how to be responsible, how to learn honesty, how to learn effectiveness in their life, be, to be dependable, be honest, be productive and industrious, to be inquisitive, to be godly and God-fearing, God-honoring. First of all, you and I are to be an example to our oldest child when our child comes in the world. One thing I hadn't thought about, but I, I thought it was an excellent thing that he suggested in that seminar, and we didn't have only but two children, so it didn't apply that much to us because they're both first of each gender. But he said, don't let your children be raised by fools either. You know that when you have one child and you're working at the sink, Mama, and uh, all of a sudden that child begins to cry and scream, you put everything down and go and take care of that child. But after two or three children come along and the child screams, you say, Honey, go take care of that, that your little sister. Well, he says, You're sending a fool off on an errand because that, child, that little child does not have the wisdom and the understanding that you have to take care of that baby when she's crying said, what you need to do is teach your children how to work in the garage and in the, in the kitchen and in the bedroom and cleaning their rooms and vacuuming and folding clothes and all these things. But you go take care of that baby so every one of them is treated in a first-child relationship with the parents so the parent raises that child. Now, it doesn't mean they can't babysit them from time to time, but it means you don't let the children raise your other children. See, a lot of times that causes many, many problems for the second and third child, the, the in-between children. You see, everybody wants to be higher up. The little one wants to be like the one just above it, and the next one wants to be like the oldest child, and the next one wants to be like the oldest one wants to be like the parents. Like I said, they want to be able to tell everybody what to do and all the rest of it like that. But you have to be very careful that you treat each one of them like you treated the first one, because as long as that second one is wishing he could be like the oldest one, he'd like to be the oldest child in the family. Someday he might be. If he's always had that ambition, instead of growing up, he just wants to be like the oldest child in the family. When all the other kids are married and go off and leave and have their own families, he's still at home going surfing every day and doing his own thing. And, hey, man, I dig this and I can't get a job and I'm not interested. He's finally the oldest child in the family. He's just sitting there soaking up that, that feeling like I'm the only one that gets attention in the family now. Very important for us to understand how important it is for every child in the family to be directly connected to mom and dad. You know, the little ones always want to do what the older ones can do. Why can't I stay up like my older sister or brother? Why do I have to go bed ahead of them? Why can't I do this when they get to do that? Why can they stay out until 10, 30 at night and I can only stay out until 9 o'clock at night? There's always that rivalry that you have to deal with each one of them directly and let them know that with maturity comes privilege. When they become more responsible, they get more privileges. Now, the problem that we've been talking about here in trying to raise them and teach them to be dependable, again, is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Whatever our children are around and are exposed to, it will influence them one way or the other, and we have to be constantly making up and correcting and adjusting and explaining and strengthening them in areas where they have come into confrontation with fools. You know, a lot of parents say, well, you know, I have some real problem with my children. They won't study. And when you talk to them about studying, you say, well, what do they do? Oh, he's just disgusting. I mean, he's got a skateboard, and all he does is goes out and tries to practice new things with a skateboard. Goes out and he'll just study and study, try to get up over the curb or try to go up the ramp and come down just a certain way and uh, well, what, was, what about the friends he runs with? That's all they do, too. They just go out and study. They just work and work. And he said, what's the word? They, they, they're studying. They're, they're practicing. And we see children study what they delight in. You can just write that down. Children study whatever they delight in. Now, if you've given a child a skateboard and let that skateboard completely consume his time, and he's in a peer group, and the other fellows get a skateboard, 
then competition immediately sets in. First of all, they identify with somebody, then they begin to admire other young people, and so they go out and they work and work and work, and what's the first thing they say to each other when they come back? Hey, watch this. Watch, let me show you something here. And they go, and they fall flat on their backs and get up and all scuffed up, and the other guy says, man, that's cool. Let me try that. You know, They'll kill themselves just trying to outdo the other person. Then you ought to see how I can, how I can surf. I mean, look at this latest thing I learned in surfing. Now, I know that they need to have sports and fun and exercise. But we have to be very, very careful because when that becomes the primary motive and that becomes the thing they study all the time, they no longer are trying to grow up. What they're trying to do is impress their peers and stay with their group and be accepted in their group. Now, once they start doing that, then compromise will enter in. Unless their companions are godly companions who also desire to serve the Lord. And this just becomes a fun time for them. How many of you know that there are some kids that get so taken up with a computer and games and computers that they won't study, they don't sleep, they don't do it, they just, just are devoured by that thing. And when they get back together, oh, let me show you what I just learned, how far I can go on this game. And it just gets more important. I had to watch Jeffrey one time because Jeffrey had a game on his television set. I don't know what it was, well, Pac-Man, I think it was. There's nothing wrong with Pac-Man, that little guy going around eating up everything as he went around, but it got to a place where he would sit there by the hour, and I'd say, all right, that does it. Now I want you to unplug that thing, and I want you to go in and study. I, I, Dad, if I can just get, I almost, uh, I just made another whole level. Dad, I said, that's great. But that has to stay in its place. Now, that's just for fun and entertainment. You don't get consumed with that thing. Maybe I was kind of jealous because that guy could sit there and go from level to level to level, and I'd get to the first level and get clobbered every time, you know. But see, the, the idea was, when Kevin or one of the other guys come over, let me show you how far I can go. You know, they're just totally, what is that? They were delighting in that one thing. If ever it comes a place where they aren't interested in maturing and growing up and becoming responsible in leadership, many times they'll say, oh, they'll just play with these games and go out of their skateboard, but you go in the room, the room isn't cleaned up. Their chores aren't done. Now, when that happens, they're not learning to put on the yoke in their youth. And I hear parents immediately say, oh, but they're just kids. Oh, they're just... When are they going to learn responsibility and who's going to teach them responsibility? Sure, the kids would love to play with the skateboard all day or go surfing down to the beach all day. And I, I know of some men right here in the community that don't even go to church, but they are so frustrated because their children are in their late 20s and every day they deliver pizza every night, just make enough money to exist and go to the beach every day and sit over there on these surfboards. In their late 20s now, Never have grown up, never learned how to take responsibility. But I said, I don't blame that poor guy. I blame the parents back there. Why didn't they say, son, everything in its order? Now, if I see you putting that first, I'll burn that thing for you. We can just have an offering and just offer it to the Lord in a burnt offering. You and I are called to train up our children. Train up means we teach them to do what we feel they need to do, not what they want to do. If we don't, later on, we will have trouble. You have to be very concerned, though, when your children's desire is no longer to grow up but just to conform to those around about them, to try to impress them with what they can do. And the last thing, they, they first of all call it peer identification, where they begin to wear what the others wear, begin to try to listen to the same music that the others listen to and watch the same TV programs the others do and try to have identical interests. We're going to be different, so we'll all dress different. Everybody dresses differently. And the problem with that, first of all, there's identification, then there's pure admiration. I like what you do, and I like what you are, so you and I are going to be buddies, we're going to be friends, we're going to get close together. Now, this will either lift a person or it'll destroy a person, depending on whether they're with fools or with responsible people. And I thank God that in the homeschooling movement, this is one of the things that they're emphasizing very strongly, the moms and dads must be careful for the companionship of their children, who their children are working with. Negative identification with social groups eventually will bring rebellion into the children. When they hear other kids talking about with disrespect toward their parents, if they're out with these children and, and uh, running around and they're, or they go in their rooms and these other children have rock music blaring and, and hard rock music blaring all the time, they begin to learn to listen to this because it's cool. I mean, I've got to identify with these other kids. What's the matter? Why don't you like my music? Well, okay, let's listen to it again, and I'll do anything just to be friends with you. Now they're in a vulnerable position whenever they start doing that. And then before long, they can be influenced with the wrong kinds of material being put before their eyes and told, you need to look at this and understand these kind of things. 
The new purpose, like I said, is not growing up, but popularity and trying to be accepted by the rest of the group. And the minute that happens, this youth culture begins to protect or draw them away from adult intrusion into their lives. Now, you and I have to let that happen if it ever happens, where the kids and what they think and what they say and what they do takes precedence over what we think we say or we do. You see, it's one fool telling another fool what to do. The basis for their decisions is common ignorance and inexperience. When they throw out the word and the authority of the parents and start listening to their own peer group, remember Rehoboam in the Old Testament, son of Solomon? He went to the elders and he said, what should I do? They're telling me that I shouldn't be as harsh as my father was. And they said, well, you tell them you'll be kinder and more gentle and you'll be a good king. Well, that wasn't good enough for him. So he went to his peer group, his buddies, and said, what do you think I should do? You go back to them and say, if they thought your father's finger was thick, that your, your finger's going to be thicker than his wrist was. You're going to be more harsh than he was. They'll really learn what it is to have a harsh king. Hey, that sounds cool, man. He went back and told them, and the whole kingdom was split. Ten of the tribes left and said, fellow, we're not going to follow you. And they only had two tribes left. You see, he went to some inexperience and ignorance of his own level instead of listening to the elders and what they had to say, and his kingdom was destroyed under him. This is why God made families the way he did, where you have the older and the younger, where there's not two or three of the very same age, all with the same inexperience, but the older ones can influence the younger ones. Some parents have told me, you know, when you get five and six children, they start growing up, and they all start helping each other and teaching each other, and the older ones know what the rules and regulations are, and they keep bringing the younger ones under into control, that's the proper order and the way God intends it for it to be. For mom and dad are authority and everybody knows that all the way down the line. If anybody down the line starts to act any differently, you better watch out because mom and dad will get a hold of you and I'll tell you, they won't let it go. But if you get some of the outside, some fools from the outside start telling them they can get away with it, then you've got real problems on your hands. If you'll keep your children away from fools and teach them to be responsible and responding to their parents, They'll grow up in an atmosphere of wisdom and spiritual growth. They'll rise up to call you blessed. Proverbs fifteen fourteen. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh wisdom, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. The mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. When you begin to get your children around fools, they'll start talking about foolish things. You ever seen a group of little, young girls get together and start talking about boys and pictures and movie stars and they all start giggling and laughing and acting like dum-dums together? Or boys all getting over in the corner and telling things they know they ought not to be doing. Their, their mouths are feeding on foolishness. And your children need to understand this and be kept away from that type of a situation at all times. Because it's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth learn that these things ought not to be in his life and take on responsibility and how you as a parent can be very, very influential in that area. I didn't even stop and think about what we were doing as parents, as I said before. And as I heard this teaching, I thought, bless God, he'll give wisdom to, to those that don't know what they're supposed to do. And it'll just come automatically to them if they really seek the Lord for wisdom. But God has some principles that we can lay down in our homes that will cause us to be able to teach our children how to be very, very responsible and successful in the days ahead. Scripture talks about if we'll do this, that they'll prosper. Our children will prosper in the days ahead if we'll do those things that are necessary. Lamentations 3.27 Lamentations 3.27 It is good for a man bear the yoke in his youth. Now we said that the yoke is a wooden bar held on the neck by thongs and uh, implies responsibility. If a child is going to learn to bear responsibility when they're young, it can only be taught by one person, basically, and that's the parents. If the parents do not teach them responsibility, they'll not learn it at school too well because they haven't learned how to submit to authority at all. I feel the frustration that teachers feel many times because if children have not been taught to be receptive and be responsible and learn and earnestly desire to learn, then their job is all the harder because they're required to teach. And if they do not have enough responsibility within the child, if the child has not been trained up in the way he should go, 
they have to try to do the parents' job and then try to do their job on top of it. It becomes a very frustrating thing for them. The scripture says we're to train them according to their bent. We're to find out what their training, what their needs are, what their gifts are, what their abilities are, what their interests are, and develop those gifts. And the God, time and time again, the scripture talked about the parents that would command their children properly. The present day problem that we find with many, many young people, and of course I don't blame the young people again, I go back to the teaching that the parents have tried to give or have not given, and that is the problem of foolish friendships or foolish companions. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. We have to, as parents and grandparents, be very, very careful who we allow our children to have as companions. Again, I say we would never allow our children out of the yard unless we knew who they were with and that there was a, an adult that was supervising them when they were younger. And when they came home, we would talk with them about what happened and how, what they were doing and what, how, what games they played and what went on while they were out there to find out if there was wrong input coming to our children. Now, you know, it, some people say, well, hey, were you just trying to smother them? No, we have a responsibility to find out what is going in, garbage in, garbage out. I can remember Jeff coming home one time, and in the house, something happened, and out came a word. I looked around, and I said, where did you find that little word? He knew he must have said something wrong. I said, well, honey, where did you hear that word? Well, such and such that I was playing with today. I said, did he use that word a lot? Uh-huh. I said, do you know what it means? Uh-uh. Well, come here a minute. Let's sit down. I want to talk to you about what that means. And I began to explain to what that word meant. Oh, I said, should Christians be using those words? No. You see, had I not caught that right off the bat, he would have started using that word out amongst his friends too. And before long, he had said, boy, you don't know what Jeff says when he's not around you. But it's very, very important for us as, a, as parents to know where our children are, who they're with. Now, I talk about foolish companions. If they get around foolish companions, you're not going to be able to train them up to be responsible. Because when they get around foolish companions, they start trying to please and sound like and be like and act like and talk like the companions that they have around them. And when they start doing that, they want peer identification. So before long, they want the, the clothes with a certain name. They want the shoes with a certain name. They want the coats with a certain name. That, to the place where nowadays in New York City, you can get shot for wearing a pair of good tennis shoes. People will rob them, kick them right off your feet now because it's just so important for them to have the same tennis shoes as the rest of the guys in their gang have. Now, peer identification and then peer admiration. I can remember when I was living in my neighborhood in, in Fremont, Nebraska, in order to be able to join our club, it was required that you go to the grocery store in the neighborhood and steal enough food to come back and have a complete dinner for the whole club. Well, you say, that's crazy. It may be crazy, but boy, if you didn't do it, you weren't in, and if you weren't in, you were out, and if you were out, you were in trouble, and I mean, you could get whooped everywhere you went. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. But we have to understand where it's coming from. We have to listen to our children and talk to our children to find out about it so that we can get them away from having fools as companions and getting involved into peer identification and peer admiration. The negative side of it is when they start listening to what their friends, foolish companions say, they begin to build up rebellion in their heart. They'll start listening to the wrong music. You say, well, everybody's doing it. And again, I want to teach you parents and grandparents how to answer that. I've said it all of my life as a, as a pastor, and it did work. Well, Dad, Mom, they're all, everybody's listening to this. I said, that's only because all of the rest of them are not my children. If they're all my children, do you realize that nobody would listen to this in town? They wouldn't sell one record in this town if all the kids in town were my kids. You understand that? But you're my kids. You won't listen to that in this house. You understand that? This is my house, and it's our house, and it's God's house. We're going to honor the Lord in this house. I have a responsibility to, the, to God, and he's going to spank me if I don't do what I'm supposed to do as a daddy. So it doesn't make any difference what the rest of the kids are doing, honey. You tell them do what they want to do in their house. We're going to do what we want to do in our house. But stand up. Don't just give in every time somebody says you should do this or you should do that. That's why God gave families. So the older children could have influence on the younger children. 
Proverbs 15, 14, The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh wisdom, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh wisdom. This is what we need to instill in our children, the ability to gain wisdom. Now then, the present day solution to Lamentations 3, 27, is a, it is good for man that he bear the yoke in his youth. First of all, we should teach our children to be apprentices in our own home. I said we should teach them to be free. Some people say, well, my kids are so busy at school, I can't ask them to do another thing. You and I need to teach our children how to be good apprentices, apprentices at home and to be good stewards with another person's riches. You know whose? Ours. You say, what do you mean by that? We have our possessions at home. We have our home, we have our, our car, we have our tools and things. I can't tell you how many times I hear parents say, boy, I just can't believe this. I, let, I told my kid not to touch the tools, and now I go out in the yard, and when I come home, I trip over all my tools laying out in the yard all rusty. They don't put them away. Well, then I'm going to blame the kids for that. Well, I can't understand. The kids, they just tear up our furniture all the time. I don't blame the kids for that. You've got to teach them to be good stewards. So I don't know how many times I would go to the door when the kids would come in. They'd come in. You know, children are children. Wham! The door would almost go to the door sill. And I'd say, whoa, 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 come back here. Wait a minute. Come back here. You didn't get it all the way through the door, all, all the way through the wall that time. Show me how you're supposed to close the door. And they'd always be in a hurry. No, 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 no. Come back here, honey. Close it properly now. Now, let me explain to you why. When you don't do it that way, before long, the hinges will come loose or the door frame will start sagging. You've got to close the door properly. There's no reason to slam the door, honey. Always remember when you go out, close the door quietly. When you come in, close the door quietly. You say, boy, you must have been a real nag. No, I was training them. How many of you know if you're going to train a dog? You've got to do it every single time they don't do something right. That's training. That's the difference between training and yelling. Now come back here. I want to explain to you. Then when they do it, that's really good, honey. Now next time, please remember that. I don't know how many times when our children were small and they'd get excited and come flying into the living room, they'd fly up and land on the furniture. I'd say, honey, stand up a minute. Show me how you're supposed to sit on furniture. They said, no, wait a minute. Look at me. Mom and Daddy had to buy this furniture. It's very expensive for us. It's very hard. We don't have money growing on trees, and you won't either one of these days. You've got to learn how to treat furniture. If we go into other people's homes while I'm in the ministry, they're going to watch how you act, how you jump on their furniture. And if you jump on their furniture, they're not going to want you in their house. I said, now I want you to sit down nicely. I had to do this over and over and over again. Now let me tell you something. Down through the years of our ministry here, there have been times I've had to do the same thing with some of your kids. Oh, you young people remember. When they're in my home, I'd say, hey, sit down again on that couch. Show me how you're supposed to sit down on that couch. I mean, when young people come in and weighing 180 pounds and come flying over the arm of the couch and come right down on it, that's great if I've got money to buy new couches every day, but you know, I don't blame the kids. Somewhere they weren't trained. Now, God's Word says we're to train them up. How? So that wherever they go and whatever they do, we don't have to be ashamed of them. You say, well, our furniture so it doesn't make any difference. What your furniture is like, you teach them the principle because one day you might have a new couch, and if you have a new couch and you've never trained them, look out couch. Teach them how to be responsible for your riches so that God can trust them later on with real riches. The principle here always applies from one to the next thing. Teach them that they're a part of a team in your home. Now, some of you say, look, I'm a grandparent. I don't need this. I, 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 my kids are already raised. You and I all need to learn biblical principles because sooner or later we're going to have an opportunity to teach others these things. When a parent comes to you, I don't know what to do with my kids. Say, well, you're pitiful then. You need to get into the Word of God and find out what to do with your kids because if you don't, they're going to be pitiful in the days ahead and you can't blame them. They need to be taught. Now, I'm not criticizing anyone because many of you never had training. I didn't have a lot of training when I was in my home. My mom and dad did, did the best they could with what they knew. But we don't want to continue to do that. We want to teach this generation so they'll be prepared to train the next generation who will be prepared to teach the next generation and we'll get out of this mess that we've gotten ourselves into where children have been rebellious and uh, shiftless and, and irresponsible. 
Again, I say, God's Word says that parents are the ones that are responsible for this, and we have to teach them how to be responsible. Part of a team. First of all, it's not just my house, it's our house. Now, if it's my house, then I'm responsible for keeping the yard and the house and everything clean and all the beds made and all the dishes done. And all. No, this is not my house. It may be a benevolent dictatorship in as much as my word is the final word, but it's still our house. Now, if it's our house, what does that mean? This is very difficult because I know some people are saying, boy, is he picking on me or something? I'm not picking on anyone. I'm trying to share some principles with you. And if you haven't done it in the past, you're going to find it difficult to begin to instill in your children, but they need to know that these things are very, very important to understand. It means that what area do they occupy? Whose responsibility is that area that they occupy? Yours? I know some parents, I can't believe it, they'll go into their children's room over and over and over again, screaming and yelling at the kids, and finally they say, oh, I'll do it myself, and they put it all away. Kid says, hey, that ain't bad. I didn't get too much yelling at that time. I mean, that's a lot easier than having to put it all away. But again, your children will reflect what you and I teach them. Why is it my responsibility, you're responsible to keep your room? Because it's your room. That area represents you. And what you might do sometimes, say, you know what, I'm going to have some visitors over this afternoon. I'm going to let them come in and see your room. I'd like for them to see your room. No! Yeah, I'm going to let them see your room. So tomorrow, if it isn't cleaned up, I'll just let them take, come and take a look at your room. Especially if they get a girlfriend or a boyfriend. That's when to do it. I want to, come here, I want to give you a little idea of what you're walking into, you know. Here, take a look at this. Now, when you say to your children, clean up your room, it doesn't mean just clean up your room. It means, come here, now let me show you how to make a bed. Point by point, you tear the bed all up and you put it all together again. Now, you try it. And they try it. Okay, now look, this isn't tight here, and this isn't. This should be straight here. And this, now let's do it again. Tear it all up. Now do it again. Now let me tell you, you're going to hear fussing and fuming when you start doing this, but if you do it when they're young, and you finally teach them how to do it, and you say, that really looks nice. Now honey, when I say clean your room or make your bed, that's what I mean about making your bed. Now, cleaning your room, it means, look, all your toys go here. All your books go here. Show them exactly how to do it. You have to, if you're training them, you have to show them how to do it. I can remember when I used to train my little puppy dog when I was 12. I wanted to teach him how to stay, so I put my coat on the ground, and I would take him over and set him on the coat, and I'd say, stay. He started moving. I'd put him back on my coat and say, stay. He started moving off, put him back on the coat, stay. I'd do that probably 40 times, and I'd pop him and say, no, stay. 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 And he'd stay there for a few seconds, and then I'd call him and just love him and just love him and love him. And then I'd get all through loving and take him over and put him on the coat again. Stay, stay, stay. And after a while, I, that dog would be running full tilt, and I'd say, stay. Boom, he'd roll in over and stop and just stay right where he was. Saved his life about twice doing that because he was starting to run out in front of a car, and I'd say, stay. And he'd just roll over and stop right next to where the car was. Now, that's the way you train. And with your children, when you train them that this is your room and this is how you do it, and after they do it, say, I'm so proud of you, and this is wonderful. When mama tells you or daddy tells you not to clean up the room, this is the way we want it to look. Now, if it doesn't look like this, it's not cleaned up. You understand me? And we won't be pleased, and we won't be satisfied, and it won't, you won't, it won't be any other way. Why do you do this? I'll tell you why I wish I'd have had it more when I was a kid, because when I got to Bible college, we had requirements that any time they could walk into our room and inspect our rooms, and if they were not absolutely clean, after breakfast and we go to class, they could walk into our room any time. It wasn't absolutely clean, beds made, everything put away, everything hung up. We got a demerit, three demerits, and you were grounded for the weekend. You get three more demerits, and you could be sent home. Boy, was I glad I learned it while I was in Bible college. But I had to learn the hard way. I didn't learn it when I was at home. I thought, boy, I wish Mom and Dad would have taught me more of this when I was home. Thank God for a Christian institution that still took that responsibility on. But now when we're talking about that one, the yard, when we get out into the yard, you know when Jody was 12, I taught her how she could work our own self-propelling lawnmower. And we had a yard 100, 100 feet by 250 feet. And I went out with her and walked along with her and showed her how to turn it and how to stop it and how to get it going and how to slow it and how to stop it. All these things went over it, back and forth. Now you go this way, and when you get over the edge, you do it this way, honey. I'd do it, and I'd say, here, now you try it. And she'd take the little thing, and it, it would work, and it would roll back, and she would do it as a light little lawnmower. 
And after she learned exactly how to do it, and I warned her, don't ever put your foot here. Now remember that. Don't ever get near this because your foot can get hurt if you put it under here. You understand that? Okay. And then I would stand there and watch her and let her do it and do it. And then, of course, before she could do that, I had to have somebody to help me with the dandelions. And so I said, Jeff, here. Now, this is your yard. This is our yard. We want to make it look nice for the Lord, okay? While they were doing that, I would be trimming trees and whatever else had to be done in the yard. But I said, now, Jeff, here's a little bucket. And here, well, first of all, let me say that I started off by showing him how he could get rewarded for doing it because it wasn't really his job at first. I said, if you want to go out and dig dandelions, I'll give you a penny for each dandelion. Oh, boy! And he was out there digging dandelions like crazy. But something was wrong because dandelions started coming up thicker. Thicker. Then I had to take a look at the roots. You know, even as young as he was, he thought to himself, you know, if I don't dig these up completely, they'll come up again and I'll get another penny. So he was breaking off the roots about one-third of the way down and bringing in his whole bucket full of dandelions and saying, here, Dad, I get the... So after that, I said, if the whole root isn't there, you don't get a penny. He had a little bit of a business sense there. He thought, why kill the business all completely, you know? But he would go in front of Jody, ahead of Jody, and get up all the dandelions. And, do, and when we got all done, we'd come in and just thank the Lord for the opportunity to be able to get our yard all cleaned up because someone was going to be coming over and we wanted it to be a testimony. Everything we did, we did it with the idea we want this to be a witness and a testimony to those around about us. Our young people get so completely involved in school today that it takes even priority over family. And I want to tell you something, the most important unit to God today is the family. Please understand that. We get our children so involved in all these other projects out here that we never learn how to function and flow as a family to where we teach them and we train them and we work together and we become one unit. You need to teach the children that the laundry is some of their work too. There are some young people that will wear clothes until they'll stick on the wall if you throw them and won't do a thing until mom has to do the laundry and bring it to them. And they won't take it if they didn't fold it. You need to teach them, this is the way you fold clothes. I know of a man not too long ago came to me and was criticizing a family that I know because he went to visit this family and here they had all the children standing on the sides of the bed. Each one of them had to fold their own clothes. Can you believe that? They literally had to stand there like little slaves and fold their own clothes. I said, oh, what a shame. Did you call HRS? Had to fold their own, I can't believe that, fold their own clothes. That's incredible. Listen, I want to tell you something. I remember a family one time, I was in their home, and they had a teenage son, and they took his clothes, folded them, and laid them on the bottom of the stairs. I watched this kid come home, and he would step over two steps, jump up to the third step, and step over his clothes to go to his room, and he did this day after day when I was there. And I thought, what's going on here? I thought, well, this would be interesting. On the third day, his father picked up all of his clothes and took them upstairs and put them on his bed. He set them on a chair next to his bed when he came into his room. A day or two later, his mother came up and put them all in the drawers. He was too busy. He didn't have time to do that. When they don't have time to do things that need to be done at home, they're too busy, Mom and Dad. Listen to me. Because they've got to learn that home is the most important place. Because later on when they go out of the home and establish their own home, they've got to establish that same principle. The house, the home, the family is the most important element. You need to get your children, boys and girls, involved in the kitchen. Now some of you, you know I've told you before that when I first married Beverly, she treated me like a god and gave me 33 burnt offerings a day. God love her heart. We had more chicken pot pies and beef pot pies those first months you can shake a stick at, you say, well, why was that? Well, because Beverly was so involved in her piano lessons, she would go to the radio station at 5 in the morning, be in school all morning, high school all morning, and then go to the university in the afternoon and then come home and have to practice for three hours before she went to church. And consequently, she didn't have time to be in the kitchen. Her folks says, you practice and we'll do everything in the kitchen. And they said, you don't have to worry about cooking, you don't have to worry about the dishes. And you know, Beverly never did enjoy dishes. That's why she had a sign in the kitchen, blessed are those who clean up. <laughs> she loved to cook, but she didn't like to clean up. But you see, again, it was a byproduct of what she'd learned at home. They did a lot of things together as a family in the ministry, but they didn't do things like in the kitchen. I can remember taking Jeff in the kitchen with me and working with him and showing him how to do things in the kitchen. This is the way we did it in the restaurant. This is the way you, while you're cooking, you clean things up. You put things away while you're cooking. I really did enjoy that, and I'm so glad I got it because there were times after I got married that I needed to know how to cook. I had to turn teach Beverly how to start cooking. She passed me up like a whiz-banger, like a tortoise in the hare, but...
I had to teach her how at first. Say, honey, these are the principles, and let's get some cookbooks, shall we? And so she started studying. She really became a good cook. But young people need to know how to cook. I think Jody's told you already this family has, what, eight kids by now, I think it is. And every one of them, put down the age of five, have their own little garden. They plant their own little garden. They get their own vegetables, and they have to cook one meal, one dinner a week each. The five-year-old has a little recipe box with recipes in there that she can cook the whole dinner for the whole family one night a week. You say, well, that's slavery. No, that's training. They're learning how to be responsible and establish a strong home in the days ahead. God's Word says that we're to train them up, that we're to put the yoke on them in their youth. Teach them how to carry these things along. Let me also say that when they do these jobs in the home, they're not supposed to do it for pay. Why? It's our house. Do you get paid for mowing the lawn? Do you get paid for painting the house? Do you get paid for putting the roof on the house? Do you get paid for all the things? No. It's your house, and so you don't get paid for doing that. And it's their house, it's their home, and we're all working together as a family. Now, that does not mean that we didn't make provisions available for our children to do other things whereby they could make money. I remember when Jody was very little and Jeffrey, we used to let them make, how many of you remember those little uh, loop hot pads? They would make those and make those and make those and take them to church or take them with us and we'd go into evangelistic meetings and Jody would just actually walk out and be working in front of somebody. They said, what are you doing, darling? She says, oh, I'm making these to make some money. She was a real con artist. And, and let me tell you, she would sell maybe 20 or 30 of them in one little deal like that when she'd go out someplace and she'd put that money in her little purse and go, oh, look, Daddy, what I was able to do, you see. But that way they gave them some initiative to go and do something for themselves and be able to produce money on the side for themselves. Now, when children are very small, there has to be some spending money made available to them, but if they don't do their responsibilities, that isn't even available to them. At a very early age, you find out that reward comes with responsibility. Fulfill your requirements, then comes blessings. I know of some parents who are so afraid of displeasing their children that whatever their children want, they will they'll even sacrifice, go into debt, do anything that has to be done to please their children. And I want to tell you something, you're setting them up for failure in their own home later on. Do I dare say that again? If you try to give them everything they want and every time they feel like they just need something, you run out and kill yourself to get it for them, you're setting them up for failure in their future home because when they come into their own home, they are going to say, well, mom always was able to do this, dad was always able to do this for me, but now that I can't, they get dissatisfied. They have to realize that there's some things that may be out of their reach financially, maybe out of your reach financially, and why should you have to do it? If you want that, then start finding some way to make extra money so that you can get it for yourself. Teach them about what the Bible says about work. What does the Bible say about work? How many of you remember back in the 60s when there was the song, Take This Job and Shove It? I don't need this work no more. Don't think that's died. That's being carried through. The ones that were singing it back then are in Washington, D.C., in, in political office right now and in state offices right now. And we need to instill in them what the Word of God has to say about industry, about work, about labor. If we'll do that, now I'm not talking about doing it when they're in high school. I'm talking about doing it when they're way down here as they're coming up. Show them, look, at we did this, this, and this, and look how we, what, what the outcome was. By the way, may I just share this with you? Our children... From the time they were small on up, we didn't tell them in detail. But if we had a financial need, we said, honey, we want you to be praying with us. We're going through a real tight time right now, finances. Let's just come together as a family now. Let's just ask the Lord to show us how to come through this and how to be obedient to him so that the finances will be met. And we would pray together and thank the Lord ahead of time that it was going to be taken care of. We said, now continue to pray and ask the Lord to help us in this situation as a family. It wasn't mom's and dad's money. It was our money. It wasn't mom's and dad's house. It's our house. We're a unit. We're a body of people together, just like the church. We're, we support each other. If one has a need, we'd all go and help that one. If this one had a need, something, we'd go over and help this one with that need. And if I had a need, they'd all come and help me. you got to instill that in them. And then when the answers came, we'd say, come here a minute. Look, I want to show you something. Look what the Lord has done. And then we'd stop and we'd pray and thank the Lord for what he had done. And time and time again, our kids used to say, Daddy, we'll never be able to go out of this house and say that God isn't a God of miracles. Because we've seen one after another. How did they know that? Because they were involved in the, in the need, in the prayer, and in the answer. 
And then in the praise and the rejoicing, giving God thanks for it. What are you doing? You're training them the principle of how to, where to look for your help, where to look for your supply, where to look for the needs that you have, and then thank Him when it comes. You're teaching them the principle of life. Father, we know that your word is true, and you said it's good for a man or a woman, actually, to bear the yoke in their youth. Learn all these responsibilities and all these problems and what life is all about, what's involved in family life, what's involved in finances, what's involved in upkeep, what's involved in care, that they might be responsible young people in the days ahead. Father, I pray that our young people will be responsible, not, not given over to recreation and playing and, and fun and all these other things all the time, even though we know that that's unnecessary, that they will train them to be responsible so that we can walk away in the days ahead and, and know that they're going to be established. They've learned what life is all about. Not only that, but they've learned what life is all about and taught, been taught how to look to you for their source, as their source. I pray, Father, that you help us as parents and grandparents to get these principles established down in our hearts so that in the days ahead we'll be able to see how God operates in our families and in of our children and of our grandchildren. We commit this time and these truths to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.